speaking of Celtic, Hi. Uh, you were obviously at, at Celtic when Key was there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, he made a pretty sweet transition from like FC Seoul to, to, to Celtic. Uh, he was a great player at Celtic, a success at Celtic. Aye. He's made the move to Swansea. Yeah. Again, that he's become like a kind of linchpin in the Swansea absolutely. team. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, do you think that in your year so far in, in, in Korea, like, do you think are, are there any other players, classical challenge, that you think mm. could make as, as smooth a transition as that? Yeah, like, yeah, could, kind of just, just on the key one first, you talk about being a smooth transition, and it has, I guess from outside, it has been that case. The, just a little quick story. When, when Key first arrived, he'd he come off the Olympic squad, so he came to us to do a medical in about November. So we first saw him in November and he mm -hmm. came in, then he was going back to have a few weeks back home and then he actually joined us in the January transfer mm -hmm. So he came in at that point. When he came in in January, he wasn't in great condition, to be quite honest with you. Physically, he wasn't in great nick, partly because he hadn't been training, but partly because yeah. he hadn't... The rigours of European football are different, intensity is high, all the stats were about to happen. And Scotland is quite unique in terms of the way that game is played up there as well. Yeah. So he had to adjust pretty quickly. The first day we, we did, some, we came in in January. He came and we did a bit of work physically, and he came out in the training ground first day. Of course, the snow was horizontal. You know, wind was howling gale at Lennington, <laughs> Typical Scottish summer day, you know. But so he comes out training, and Scott Brown, who was also at the club, still at the club now, is kind of a, I guess, an archetypal Scottish midfielder. You know, he'll, he'll you know, knock, knock your teeth out, pick yeah. up your game, put me around, and knock him out again ten minutes later. You know, but in, in the best best way in the world. But he comes in, and, and ten minutes into the into the training session, Brownie just boots Key up in the air. I mean, he puts him in the stand in the training session. The kid bounces and he lands. So Key gets up, takes it from ten minutes later, and smashes into him again. <laughs> Not malicious, just yeah. well, welcome to Scotland. This is how we do yeah. things here, you know. And and in fairness to Key, he just took it, took it brilliantly. But he came into the gym. And his English was quite good. He came into the gym, and he and I were chatting kind of a couple of days later. He said, "Listen, I realise I've got to change the way I play. I've got I've got to change the way I am physically." And he he grafted, by the way, yeah. that lad behind the scenes grafted for that first couple of months he came in because he didn't play every week when he first arrived yeah. at Celtic but people look back and he didn't he didn't set the world on fire straight away but behind the scenes he was grafting in the gym he was bringing his body fat down he was getting stronger doing the work out in the training field and it's testament to him that he was prepared to do that and then obviously they did get in the Celtic team and then as you say did really well and made yeah. the transition down south but it's testament to his hard work but it, that alludes back to the point I made early on is that that's a lad who if we've been dead honest with it he wasn't massively popular in career mm. the last few years. Now, obviously, he's national team captain now. And yeah. people, but, but at that point, and if the couple of years, he wasn't massively popular. People thought he was arrogant. People thought he was having himself. There was a little bit of swagger about him that people in career were a bit wary of, if we're quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that's the thing. That, that alludes to, I think, perhaps the deeper issue we spoke about, which is that it's because of that that he's been successful. Yeah. That's a lad who said, you know what, Scott Brown, you can boot me up in the air twice. You can do that in the first 10 minutes. I'm not going to crumble. I'm going to keep taking the ball and I'm going to get myself stronger. Yeah. And six months later, he's smashing into Scott Brown. Yeah. And Brownie's giving a good lad, you know, because that's the way, but that's the way you survive in, 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 in competitive European leagues. Yeah. You've got to have a bit of, it's about rhino skin, rocket fuel. That's a kid that said, you know what? I'll back myself. You can smash into me. I'm not going to shrink it. I'm not going to be a shrinking violet here. I'm not going to keep me, keep my mouth shut and say nothing. I'm going to get involved in this and, and roll my sleeves up and have a good crack at it. And that's the reason why he's now gone on to be one of the most consistent midfielders in the Premier League. And yeah. He's playing week in, week out, albeit in a team this year that's finding it difficult. And that mentality is what we need to encourage in more Korean lads because the raw material is there physically, technically, but psychologically, that's the bit at the moment that's yeah. perhaps the missing piece. Now, saying that, we don't want to encourage arrogance, but again, I take an example from the NFL, a guy Barry Sanders, who was a running back for the Detroit Lions, one of the greatest running backs of all time, 
he scored numerous touchdowns, could easily go on to become the leading rusher of all time, but quit, quit quite early. Every time he went into the end zone and scored a touchdown, all he'd do is turn round, take the ball and just throw it to the umpire and then jog back to where the start line. And when he, when he, he, no celebrations, no yeah. histrionics. When people ask him, why is it you just do that? He says, well, well I expect to score. Mm. I expect to score a touchdown. That's my job. Yeah. And, but that's, that's not arrogance. That's a quiet humility, quiet confidence about who he is. But it is a relentless confidence that says, I'm going to be great at what I do. And it's okay to be great. Yeah. What we're trying to get across to lads here is it's okay to stand out. It's okay to be best in your field at what you do. It's okay to, to be elite. Don't sing it from the rooftops and be arrogant about it because no one likes a smart yeah. ass. But it's okay to strive for that. One of the challenges I think we face in this culture, and it's a culture that I love and has embraced my family and we want to be here for years to come, and this is no way disrespectful of career, is that there, there isn't a system whereby creativity and elite performance is rewarded. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want to get promotion, you've got to wait for the guy above you to get promotion. It's right. dead men's shoes. You know, you've, got, you've got to wait till you're the right age, yeah. potentially. Now, what that brings with it, potentially, is a stifling of people to say, do you know what? I'm going to roll my sleeves up and have a right good crack at this and be the very best I can be. And the people, and there are numerous Koreans that have got that mentality. Often, it's because they spent time outside of the country and come yeah. back into it. So one of the reasons Key's got that swagger, he spent time in, the Aus, in, in Australia at school. I was about now, to ask you that if there was any uh, evidence or influence. Yeah, now I, I come from a scientific background, so I mean, I, I want data to, to, to back this up. I can't give you hard data on that, but one thing I can tell you from the, I've got a family in Australia as well, is that the Australians are not short of self-confidence. You know, they're, they're having themselves, you know, all day long. Now, it might be that a part of that's rubbed off on Key. He might have had it beforehand. It might be his parents. I don't, I don't know enough about his background from that point of view. But that's the boy that came in and wasn't, the stage wasn't too big for him. You know, yeah. that's the boy. But I think one of the, the fears with some Korean players is that when the big stage comes about, it's okay to be the one that stands out. Give me the ball. I'll be the difference maker. You know? well, I think, I mean, that was a big thing that when um, Uli Stilica, that when he took over the national team, oh. like in his first training session, he, well, the story goes that he basically like, threw the balls on the pitch and said, "Okay, guys, oh. show me what you can do," oh. and everyone just stood there. Oh. The key saw him. They're all just like, "What?" Like, "Okay, someone tell me what to do." And he's like, "Well, go. Like, like show me what you can do." And they're all like, "Well, yeah. What do you want me to do?" Oh. And he's like, "No, no. Show me what you can. Like, show me something creative. Like, show me what you can Absolutely. do." Yeah. And no one would do anything because everyone's like, "But like, Hong Myung both told us what to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, like you need to tell us. You know, because we're used to being told." Yeah. They, there's there's a huge, they? huge level of diligence. I mean, the guys here are so diligent. I mean, yeah. their mentality is so professional. I talk about presentations I've done back home to players or worked on back home in terms of living their lifestyle right. And we talk a lot about 24-hour professional. You know, you've got this is a short career. You've got to make every minute count. You know, you you can't afford to do anything that, that, that eats away at that career. Back home, you'll see pros back home who are making poor nutrition decisions that are make, making kind of poor decisions in the lifestyle. That doesn't happen here. These guys live their life right. You know, they, they're, their profession is unbelievable, but that is the X factor. You know, it's okay to stand out. It's okay to have that X factor. Um, not in an arrogant way, but that quiet, you know, that quiet confidence that says, I'm the man, you know. It actually is one of the things we're going to ask you is about diet, because okay. obviously we're kind of outside. We've got a great interest in football. We only get what's fed to us for the news. Yeah, and the impression you get about back, being back in the UK is that uh, players diets is quite highly controlled and they're told what to eat and they're eating their boiled chicken and pasta on a Saturday yeah. etc but when we see what Korean players seem to be eating here from videos that put up on various websites they're either out eating kalbi or samgyeopsal on a weekday or yeah. if they're eating in the canteen it's just regular kimchi jjigae or twenjang jjigae yeah. so is, is there any like yeah I mean, there's two, two parts to answering that question the first is that 
clubs in the UK particularly do a good job at marketing and putting the party line out there. I know firsthand that lads' diets back home are not as good as that. What I've found is that what they eat at the training ground is always at high quality and well controlled with nutritionists, and there's no no expense mm. spared in terms of quality of ingredients and the and the right macronutrients getting put into those guys. When those guys then leave the training ground. You've got to put Still having kebabs at 3am. Well, <laughs> in some cases, certainly. But the point being, that's where the education system comes in, in the sense of lads will do. Lads in the UK are good pros, and the game's evolved massively. This is, like I say, 15, 16, 17 years ago when I started. It's night and day compared to what I saw then, compared to what I see now. So players do take far more care of their bodies, do take far more care of their preparation. But they do make poor choices still. Mm. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. But again, the flip side is the media back home are dead keen to, to get that story out there as well, yeah. because no one wants to read about the lad who comes in, does extra work after training, watches a video for two hours to learn about who he's playing against, goes home and picks his kids up from school. No one wants to read about that. That doesn't sell newspapers back home. Right. They want to read about the lad who is the Jack Grealishes of the world, who are you know, getting drunk on his summer holiday with his mates you know, and out partying after defeat. You know, that boy's been, that's a young player in the UK who's come through Aston Villa's academy, has got all the ability in the world, has been absolutely castigated by the media, rightly so to a certain extent, because he's made some daft choices, has been slaughtered and thrown to the wolves out there. That's a kid who's got some scar tissue to deal with now off the back of that, yeah. you know. The, so that's one side of it, which is that perhaps the perception and reality is a little bit, yeah. that there's a discrepancy there, um, certainly. Um, one of the things that we want to do here in career is to say, let's take all the good stuff of Korean football and Korean culture, but let's say, can we bring good practice from elsewhere around the world, best practice effectively from elsewhere around the world, and mesh it together with the Korean mentality and the Korean kind of football culture to create a modern-day Korean footballer? Um, because there's lots of good things, lots of good raw material, but there's no doubt that some areas, whether it's rehab or sports science or nutrition or psychology or tactical awareness or video review, whatever it is, there's no doubt that some of those areas are being done better in other countries in the world and in other sports in the world as well. So one thing that Martin and I are very keen to do is to bring best practice that we've seen ourselves or used ourselves or learnt ourselves mm -hmm. and try and mesh that into what happens here. And nutrition is certainly part of that. We can do a better job of nutrition, certainly. But the flip side is the opportunity is big because look at some of the staple food groups you know there's a lot of fish that gets eaten over here well that's great potentially in terms of not only preparing it the right way we're getting great lean protein sources there the carbohydrate source is predominantly rice and you can make worse choices than rice mm -hmm. you know certainly that's a, a good start start point for us there's some high quality fruit and vegetable available over here as long as you can prepare it in the right way so the potential is decent nutritionally but certainly improvements that can be made up here absolutely but, I mean, the, the kimchi stew or the seaweed soup that's served in the, the club canteen to the place, is that vastly different to what, what you get at a restaurant? I mean, has it, has it been sort of...? Um, I can only speak for what, what happens at our place. It's not vastly different from what you see in a restaurant at the moment, no. Okay. Um, you're right, so it's a valid point there. Having said that, does it need to have wholesale changes? Well, actually not. What all these do is just tweak in certain things. So yeah. let's take, for example, some of those soups. What, what, what are you looking for in elite athletes? Well, we don't talk about uh, kind of protein, carbohydrate, vitamins and minerals, because that confuses players. We talk about... Food for fuel, yeah. for fueling performance, food for repair, and then food for protection. Those three things. So fuel is the fuel you need. To, you, you wouldn't send a, a Formula One car out to go and race in the Monte Carlo Grand Prix and fill it up with four staff or diesel from a mm. garage. You, know, you put the right fuel into it. You know, that's the first thing. The, the quality of fuel has got to be high. We talk about repair. The game has become so much more explosive over the last five years, particularly, if you look at the data. Because of that, the damage that's been caused to the body is... is significantly increased the body's been taken to the extremes of human movement more often mm. so that 
that brings with it a huge increase in injury risk, which you see around the world at the moment. But secondly, it brings with it a huge need to repair that, that tissues more effectively. So eating for repair is important, which is the proteins, and then finally eating for protection. When you exercise, your immune system is suppressed because when the reactions to exercising heavily, these boys train hard every single day. So their immune system, their body's ability to fight infection is under threat. So you've got to eat for protection. So getting the right vitamins and minerals to your diet as well. So fuel protection repair those three things we've got to get the right sources for those three things in the diet the opportunity to do that in Korea is quite high because they are available readily within the diet yeah. but the preparation of that of those nutrients if you like has got to be slightly different okay. so some of those soups let's take a seafood soup for example you get in some pretty high quality protein sources and they're seafood sources seafood kind of food sources if you like you get some pretty decent vegetables in there as well you get in fluids what you need as well what, what are some of the things in there you want to take out? Well, we'd certainly look to reduce the salt content in yeah. a lot of the food over here, absolutely. A lot of food is processed or deep fried, a lot of it from that point of view, and that's certainly a, a preparation style we'd be looking to take out of it as well. But in terms of the raw macronutrients that are available, there's some pretty decent ones, you know. But you mentioned there about food for repair. Aye. Uh, I mean, obviously, going back to the working in, in Scotland, they're working in uh, England and stuff, like, do you find that in terms of injuries in, in, in Korea, I mean, like, I feel that every time you you pick up a paper in the UK, or every time you know that you know every Sunday or Monday morning, you know they're having a look online. There's some player who's like you know torn his Achilles or his metatarsal or or is you know like pull something. Yeah. In Korea, you don't seem to get those kind of seven month, eight month injury. That you don't you, you seem to get maybe small niggling injuries, but you don't seem to get. The, kind of ligaments being torn or uh -huh. stuff like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, it's a whole interview just on one question, really, potentially that one, but because it's so multifaceted. But if there's three things on that, I'd pick up really quickly. The first is that the game has become more explosive around the world. Mm. You know, all, all the pro-zone data, the MISCO data will back that up. You know, teams are spending, players are spending more time at the extremes of human movement. You know, they're, look at the number of sprints they're doing in the game, mm. it's significantly increasing, high intensity differences. When, when, you, when you start covering more distance or high intensity and you start performing more explosive movements, you are putting the body more at risk. When you take a, body, when you take a limb or a muscle to the extreme of movement, every time you do that, you're putting it more at risk. The game is more explosive in, in the UK, so because of that, you are getting that slightly increased injury rate, mm. certainly. Secondly, the demands of the game over there, you're playing two games a week right through the season, pretty much, in, in a lot of those leagues. Um, because you see teams playing European football and um, league football in the, in the Premier League and the Championship, you play two games a week, so you're playing 55, 60 games off sometimes you know, okay. in the league, so it's a high, high game volume. Um, the second thing is you get, as part of that, you get an accumulated effective fatigue, so knowing that training modalities, the way you train have to adapt to the way the game's moved on, and I think perhaps in the UK, we haven't quite adjusted just yet to the fact the game's moved on a little bit. You know, we're still training in, in the same way we trained five years ago. Well, actually, five years ago is a long time now, and the game has evolved. So mm. that's one contributing factor to it. Um, and ultimately, those lads never get time off these days. International footballers don't get time off. Now, I'm not playing a sob story for players because I'm not saying they need rest, but no one will buy that. But if you are playing at a high level, week in, week out, 11, 12 months of the year, two, three, four, five years in a row, it's only a matter of time before some part of the system is going to break down. In terms of the contrast to Korea, um, I, I would say that firstly the press aren't as interested, so you're getting less coverage. There actually are quite a lot of injuries in Korea, but the injuries that I'm seeing across Korea tend to be overuse injuries, not, mm -hmm. not explosive traumatic mm -hmm. events. There's a lot more ankle and knee problems over here, and part of that, from, in my opinion, this is just my personal opinion, is partly the, the training methodologies here. You know, lots of stories about the way guys train. It's, they train for long periods of time at a steady state. You know, and the reality of that, that doesn't reflect the game that we play anymore. 
the game's up and down, up mm. and down, explosive, you know, so we've got to adapt that a little bit. Um, but because there's less of those explosive bouts, you're not getting quite as much risk, the risk factor is slightly lower because you're not getting those extreme sprints, for example, as, as often as frequently with back home. So, but part of it as well is the Korean athlete is well conditioned. You know, they come in with a good sound base. A lot of these guys have come through Taekwondo backgrounds as kids. Their range of movement is phenomenal. You know, if you ask some lads in the Premier League to touch their toes, even now some of the English players would still struggle with that, which is daft to say. Yeah. I mean, some of the guys can't touch their knees back home. You know, but <laughs> whereas here, I mean, lads here can fold themselves in yeah, half and put yeah. themselves in a suitcase. You know, in terms of their their, their range of movements, phenomenal with these lads. I mean, we're doing the, the mobility work with these lads. Their range of movement is phenomenal, so that certainly helps as well. Um, yeah, I think we, we've, we've worked quite hard behind the scenes to minimise our injuries this year, and I've got to take my hat off to the medical staff behind the scenes on that. They've done a good job in terms of helping to kind of keep guys patched up and on the, on the field, you know. You're talking there about you know like injuries and stuff. Like I remember that one of the stories uh, from your time at Celtic was uh, when Tony Mowbray signed Robbie Keane, Aye. Uh, and he came up and he said that there was only two pitches in in Scotland that were good enough. Fun to play on, okay. and that was Celtic Park and, and, and Ibrox. Okay. And he said that every time he went on the pitch in, in Scotland, he was running the risk of injury uh, because of the quality of the pitches. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, do you think, like, looking at Korean pitches, like, are they looking at the facilities in Korea? Like, do you think they, they are they, of a similar standard to the Premiership? Do you think they're more of a similar standard to what Robbie Keane was saying at, at Scotland? Uh-huh. Do you think they're lower standard? Like, in terms of, like, like, not just the pitch, but, you know... The, the environment, match the environment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were checking on about the pitches. The, um, if you go back in the UK, if you go to a council pitch, a council-owned pitch back in the UK, you're going to see anything. You're seeing syringes, you're seeing dog dirt, you're seeing <laughs> yeah. broken glass, you're seeing flipping one in three gradients, you know, you're seeing all sorts. Majority of these city-owned stadiums over here are phenomenal in terms of... You've got these all over Korea. You've got these stadiums that hold 10, 15, 20, 25,000 multi-use facilities where the quality of them is actually phenomenal, mm. you know, outstanding. But from a football point of view, the real knock on them is they've all got tracks and they've all got these athletic tracks. Fans are always mm. 15, 20, 25, 30 metres away from the game. Straight away, that has an impact on the atmosphere and on the, on the fan experience. Secondly, the stadiums are so big that even if you're getting 5,000 in, they're still banging around on empty seats. And, yeah. and, and the Korean mentality is not to sit together anyway. People people do either sit on their own. So even if you've got a decent little crowd. So I've been in some FA Cup games back in the UK, lower league teams, where you've got three, four, five thousand 5,000 there. A lot of the Scottish grounds will only hold kind of smaller numbers. But the atmosphere is crackling. I mean, it is hairs on the back of your neck stuff because they're close to the pitch, mm. they're right on top of you, they're closely packed in together. There's a real atmosphere there, you know. And, and I think one thing that really holds... The, the fan experience back here is the fact that so many of these ones have these tracks. If One of the things that Solin has done really well is they've, they've built this temporary stand on the track on mm. the far side. That's certainly been a real positive. Yeah. But even that, we've we've still got that bold environment. Jamshaw, I mean, I've been watching the Seoul Olympics in 88, you know, and thinking, what a stadium, you know. The Ben Johnson final, there were, uh, in theory, it holds whatever it is, 6, 60, 75,000. There was 90,000 crammed in that day, if you look at the pictures. The guys were sitting in alleyways, they were sitting on those stairs. Yeah. I mean, it was crammed in. And that's the same stadium. Now, with, for all intents and purposes, I mean, our fans have been magnificent this year. I mean, they've sung their hearts out. They've come, travelled to away games, and they've sung their hearts. I mean, great for us. And the fact the club have worked really hard to try and create a fan atmosphere. But your, your limitations are the stadium environments, you know, and that's huge. So I'd love to see smaller stadiums 
but football-specific stadiums. I heard. I mean, I saw a report from Daegu talking about they're going to, even though they haven't gone back up to the Classic League, they're going to have a football-specific stadium by 2018. Yes. That would be great. You know, that's if that happens, brilliant for them. You know. So the, the flip side is it saddens me that you read stories about. You know, I think Guangzhou have lost their training venue for next year because the lease has expired. Gangwon, I think, are in financial difficulty. Could City looking at pulling some money out of it? You know, there's yeah. been issues at Yongnam as well. There's a number of clubs that financially look to be really under threat, or certainly up against the next couple of years and that would be a real shame because the game's got to grow not go backwards yeah. you know but and i think football specific stadiums would be great we talked a lot about the kbs game we played that game at the Seoul world cup stadium supplementary stadium now there was two and a half thousand at that game there was guys on the rooftops with guys yeah. climbing trees there were guys hanging over fences with guys sat on the rock faces that atmosphere was unreal. It was for, I mean, and that was our development squad. That was our young lads playing with a couple of one or two senior pros picked in there, and an amateur reality TV show. Yeah. But the atmosphere was one of the best <coughs> we've been a part of this year. So it shows it can be done. It just needs a little bit of kind of joined up thinking from the from the clubs, from the KFA, from the stadiums to say, and the city to how can we make this fan experience more positive? You know? Just while we mentioned the uh, reality show again, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously probably haven't followed the show all the way through but were there any players you saw there that you think you'd be worth taking a punt on? Um, I mean there's certainly some players there that have got some calibre to them certainly I think there was a couple of lads that played in midfield I think one boy that had been in Anyang before slightly older guy I think in his 30s he'd been in Anyang previously and he certainly played well against us um, it'd be great to see those guys make the, make the step back into the programme some of those guys they could do because that's a great story for the fans you know yeah. and also it's a great story for young lads to say there's more than one avenue into professional football I, I, I honestly believe the university system in the world is not necessarily the best way of, of progressing players through, and, the re and that's not a, a dig at universities in Korea or anywhere else, but take AC Milan, for example. AC Milan, one of the biggest brand names in the world, their goalkeeper at the moment, Donnarumma, is 16 years 16. old. It's a 16-year-old playing for AC Milan. Now, that's a freak case, but that's a 16-year-old playing for one of the biggest franchises in the world. Now, most of our rookies, if you like, and they use the word rookies here, young players, as they, they use talk career, 22 years old, 23 years old. Yeah. You know, people are making the debuts as professionals at 23. When you then factor and you've got military service to do as well, it shortens their career down. But secondly, that those years from 16, 17, 18, that through to 22, that's five, six years worth of development. Yeah. And the university's football is great quality, and it's great the guys are getting education to, to fall back on when they finish playing. I would just want to raise a flag that actually there's more than one way into elite football so you take Jamie Vardy in the UK who's the top scorer in the Premier League at the moment people have been banging on about his goal record and people talk about his non-league and it's a bit, bit tired storyline now but that's a boy that did get released from Sheffield Wednesday I think it was a 16 year old for being too small dropped down the leagues to non-league and then fought his way back up again so there's more than one way in um, I'd like to, I'd like to see guys in that reality TV should go in but I'd also like to see younger players playing in our league you know league, you look at, I think, Pohang won the under 18 year this year, league this year. I think it'd be inch on the final. Their goalkeeper is a guy who I think has got a potential to be a decent player from the bits and pieces I've seen. And there's rumours I think he could be training with the first team next year. That's brilliant for me. I, I'd love to see young lads getting the chance to go and compete against senior players in training, not throwing them at the deep end and, <coughs> and watching them drown, but as part of the development, being in competitive environments alongside senior players, then going out and playing competitive football out on loan and coming back in again. You know, I think 22, 23 is too old to be making a professional debut, in my opinion. Um, so I'd like to see perhaps that system tweaked a little bit personally. I think that uh, you mentioned it about the um, university teams, and I think you know, like, one of the things that happens in a kind of yearly basis is like one of the university teams gets pretty far in the FA Cup yeah. uh, this year um, I can't remember their name but 
Uh, they, 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 Sunderland, they took Songram to the extra time. Aye. Yeah, I, I was actually at that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was the one screaming abuse at, okay. at the yeah, Songram yeah. players. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, every year that you, you do get that kind of, you know, like, um, kind of dream story. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you guys came really close to, to getting the, the, your own version of it, like, by, by taking Ilsa. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, it's funny, that game, talking about memories early on, and that was a game that certainly sticks in memory because. For a brand new team, obviously, we, we start the season really well. We didn't, win, we didn't lose any games. I think we drew three of our first mm. four, I think. But inevitably, for a new club, it took a little bit of time to find our feet and kind of find the way that we are. That game was a, was a bit of a turning point, really, because you go up against a decent classic league team, a good classic league team with some good players in it. And again, this is no disrespect to them as a club, who are, I think they do a lot of really good things. We were better than them on the day. Yeah. That, we, we outplayed them for 90 minutes. Went to extra time. We got a man sent off. At the, we had about three men sent off in the first six games we played this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guy that got sent off actually at a crucial time. It's hard to say ifs and buts, but we were in the ascendancy at that point. You know, that's a team we expected to go off and win, and that's it if we get knocked out on penalties. But that game kick-started us. To yeah. actually, we've just gone toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder. We won the better teams in, in career. Not been outplayed, not been outmuscled, not been outphysical, not been outplayed, and actually, to be quite honest, out, outmatched them really yeah. physically, technically. And then obviously we get knocked out on penalties. But then off the back of that, our next game was the Su 1 which then kickstarted. I think we won nine out of eleven yeah. points. So yeah, that game certainly showed. But that also shows testament to the quality of teams in career because you talk about university teams. We played Sun Moon University in the, in the first round of the FA Cup proper this year. We beat them two 0 but that was a decent game. You, you can't imagine playing a university team on a competitive fixture back home in the UK. Yeah. It wouldn't happen, you know. So it, that's testament to the depth of talent pool they've got here. You know, I just like to see it tweaked a little bit to say if there is good talent out there, young talent, don't, fa- don't fast track it, but let's try and find ways of actually getting them involved in things. So next, step forward next year is they've got they've got to reintroduce the reserve league, well, the U23 league next year. So it's meant to be an under 23 development league. That's great, it's a step forward because there's no structured football for them this year. But you look at the conditions of that, you can have five overage players and two trialists playing. So seven of your 11 could not be under 23. Yeah. So actually, that in itself becomes just reserve team football again, which is the knock on that back home is they're not competitive. So it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. I understand why they've done that because teams haven't got enough young players to make it work without it, you know. But yeah. I'm a big fan of the loan system. I think that if you get lads in your academy through to 18 years old, well coached, foundations got in place, at 18 they come in, in and amongst your development first team squad, they get the opportunity to be exposed to the next level up, still playing development games but going out on loan to play some games as well where the games really mean something. Yeah. I think that's a, a step forward, you know. I think it's a big thing that. I, again, as a Celtic fan, it's a big thing. It's probably one of the few things that Ronnie Dilly has got right uh, as as a Celtic manager is that he they, this every year he brings two of the young players they and he train uh, with the first team. Uh, this year is a uh, young uh, Tierney um, who has actually taken over the left back role, right. uh, and it's just purely because he's been training with Scott Brown, yeah, yeah. you know, like players like, like that, and he's made that, that, that kind of step up, but I think it is, yeah, something that I think that should happen more I often. I think it, you know. the, the danger with it is it becomes tokenistic, so for example, when I was at Celtic, I'm pretty sure the rules are the same now, you had to have some twi- under, yeah, two, yeah, two under-23s in your squad, as, as you do here in the, in the, in the Challenge League, you've got to have two under-23 players in your squad, if one of them doesn't start, you only make two subs, so our rules, we're penalised for not starting a young player, which, yeah. is, which I understand why the concept there, but the reality is, what happens is, you then in Scotland, for example, we had two young lads who every game, all yeah. season, sat on our bench, and they travelled with us home and away, all season, Paul Caddis and Simon Ferry, they yeah. were at the time, those are lads who rotted on our bench, 
just rotted on our yeah. bench because they had to fulfill the rules so we can make our substitutions, but never weren't able to go off on loan, weren't able to go off and play competitive games because we needed them to fulfill the rule criteria, ended up getting released. Now, both lads have gone on to have decent careers, lower leagues down. Yeah. I mean, Caddy's in Birmingham now, I think, and Simon's been at Swindon. So those are the young lads from Scotland who've gone on to do okay. But the rules is one thing. It's about having a philosophy that says, can we get young players actually playing? You know, we, Korea's hosting the Under-23 World Cup uh, I think in 2017, is that right? Yeah. I think so. That's going to be a showcase event where scouts from all around the world, managers from all around the world, teams from around the world are going to come and be in Korea. And Korea's got a cut of chance to showcase its hosting of a major tournament, albeit under-20s under level. Mm. You know, Korea's, you look at Korean younger, the national younger teams, 23, 20s, they're competitive teams. Now, they're going to go to the Olympics with a realistic chance of, of meddling at the Olympics next year. There's young talent out there, but there's not young talent playing in the first teams in the K-League. Yeah. Again, this is just my opinion. This is not a, 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 a this is probably help you as a Sunderland fan, but I thought that the young player of the year decision in the K, in the K-League Classic this year was wrong, personally. I think yeah, definitely. The, the centre-forward at like your, your place scores 15 and 34. You know, I think that's a boy, hands down, he's young player of the year, in my opinion. Now, yeah. I understand why Jay Sun gets it from John Book, because that's a successful team. He's playing in the team that wins everything. But there's, the young players who are winning those awards are 22-23 still. Yeah, young players of the year for me should be 19. 18, 19, 20. You know, and you you look back over the years in England, you know, people like Andy Gray, I think, won Young Player of the Year. Gaza, they, they were winning it when they were younger. Yeah, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, and by 23, you should be an established professional at that point, in my opinion. You know, the flip side being, you, you should, if you look after yourself properly and the systems behind the scenes are right, there's no reason why you shouldn't play in your late 30s now. You look at people like Ryan Giggs, who was a freak playing till he was 40, but then you can go Costa Curta, Mal Maldini, Javi, those guys are now playing in the late 30s. Mm. You can do that if you look after yourself and the system's right. You could have a 20-year career, potentially. But in, in this country, I'd like to see some more younger lads given the opportunities to, to play competitive football. Um, and certainly that's something we're looking at. And next year will be interesting because now there's no draft system for the first time. So now there's no draft system as there was last year. You can sign lads out of high school potentially. It'd be interesting to see whether the dynamic changes at all, whether teams are playing younger lads. We'll have to see how that pans out. When, when you send players out on loan, yeah, you mentioned earlier you'd send one guy out yeah, to San Mipo yeah. and he'd done well. Yeah. Do you get any kind of control over what they're doing while they're there in terms of training or are you, or are you just sort of leaving up to what the yeah, old San Mipo managers? Yeah, that's a good question actually. In the UK now it's, it's moved on in the sense of you would expect, when you send a player out on loan, you expect to get regular loan reports back, both from your own scouts who are watching him, yeah. but also from coaching medical and sports science staff behind the scenes that are saying, here's his training load. So here's his GPS data for the training week, here's his gym work for the week, and there's a dialogue that goes on backwards and forwards there. Mm -hmm. And we'd expect that. And likewise, when you have a player, so for example, when we had Robbie Keane at Celtic, we were mm -hmm. feeding back to Tottenham about what he was doing, you know, because he was their player. Um, at the moment, and we've only been here one year, we've had one player on loan, Chiwon, came to us um, from John Book, and we sent lads out on loan. At the moment, that doesn't seem to be that dialogue in place at the moment. Whether that's a communication issue, whether that's just not the way things are done, I'm not sure. But certainly moving forward, that's something that's important, because what you don't want to do is send a boy out on loan and him just get abandoned, or yeah. him to make poor choices and go backwards. You, know, you want him to go out, play games, carry on this development programme as well. So the, the feeder club system is an interesting one. You know, some teams around the world now are, would have regular feeder teams where they always send certain players to certain ones. So look at Chelsea, always send guys to Antwerp. You know, there's certain feeder teams now where the philosophy is shared between the club, there's a mutual understanding of what's expected in terms of standards and, and helping these guys become men. Because for a lot of these guys, it's young lads going out left to their own devices for the first time. And now they've got a bit of autonomy. They've got to make decisions for themselves in terms of how I'm living my life. So you want to have guys that've got a philosophy and a guidance to how they can do that. You know. Yeah. 
you were talking then about um, UK players, <coughs> you know, like uh, Chelsea having a feeder system yeah. with Antwerp and stuff. Um, I mean, do you think o- over the years in, in, in Korea there's not been a whole lot of uh, UK-based players who have actually come to Korea and, and kind of yeah. played at all? Yeah. Uh, there's been maybe like four or five over the, the, the last few years. Uh, do you think uh, that there will ever be a time when the clubs in the UK might look at sending players over to like a country like Korea to play? Uh, or th- is there any UK-based players that, that you would like to have in your team? Yeah, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> I mean, certainly not UK. I'd love to have that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I can give you 15, 20 names straight away. But um, yeah, a couple of challenges. Firstly, the, the, the league, the, the calendar of the league is obviously so different. You know, mm. we start March and finish in December. Whereas, obviously, so in terms of guys coming across for your pre-season, you know, that pre-season in the UK starts in end of June, start of July. Yeah. That's the middle part of our season. So the fact that the calendars don't match up in itself is a challenge because the transfer windows don't come in at, at, at times that make sense really to start off with. That's a challenge. Um, secondly, I think if you see it from a UK team's point of view, their argument would be what benefit would we get from sending a player to Korea? Now, there'll be marketing opportunities, certainly, um, and that's, that itself might be enough. I'm not sure teams in in Europe would send m- many players out overseas, outside of Europe. It's not, really, not just in Asia, but there's mm. not many European teams sending teams to South America to play yeah. or players into North America to play. You know, Having said that, if you take the MLS as an example, now soccer in the MLS, as they call it, will be always be best it can hope for is fourth in rank, possibly fifth. You know, you're talking about NFL, Major League Baseball, mm. basketball, hockey. They're all going to be sports that are above soccer. But you look at the growth of the game in the US... Bear in mind, back in the 70s, that's a game that they tried all through money at it. They took big stars across, you know, Bobby Moore, George Best, big yeah. names playing out there. Died a death time after time. But the MLS is now 20 years old and is now a pretty vibrant league. And, and players are beginning to go across a little bit younger now. So yeah. it used to be European players going across at 34, 35. And you still get some of those. You still get your Gerrards and your you know, Robbie Keynes and, and Beckham's yeah. and things. But you also see some European players going across it late 20s, early 30s now, and that's creeping younger. Because, a, because the league's become competitive. Secondly, because it's professional in terms of it's well-run and yeah. well-marketed. Um, so maybe I can see there, there, is, there is a chance for players to come across to Asia. At the moment, I can't see it happening, to be honest, because the profile of the game's not high enough. You know, if you, The challenge that Korean football faces, and one of the challenges, in my opinion, is that if you speak to most Korean football fans as they leave a game, they love the game, they're knowledgeable again about the game, they're passionate about it, albeit they express that passion in a different way. Ask them who they support, and their first team will be a German team or a Premier League yeah. team. And their second team will sometimes be a Korean team. Yeah, We've got to get to the stage where, firstly, everyone's got a second team that's Korean. That's the first stage, because yeah. a lot of guys aren't, a lot of guys are huge football fans who won't go and watch K-League football. Yeah. We've got to get to the stage where K-League football is a viable option for guys. And then over time, we've got to get to the point where we're saying, actually, do you know what? Make your second team a European team. Yeah. You know, and now that's the challenge that we face over here. Now there's that's a challenge both on and off the field for the marketing guys behind the scenes, for the KFA, for the clubs, for all of us to kind of get our heads together. I'd love there to be a dialogue about that because I honestly believe the quality and the potential in career is so high. And Martin is, is the manager well, Martin's the best manager I've worked with, but that's a guy who worked in sales before he moved into to coaching. So that's a guy that knows how to sell. Mm-hmm. And is now coaching for ten years, and has built clubs from scratch previously in a in a free market economy in the U.S. All granted, where there's nothing on the board, nothing on the blank sheet of paper building clubs. He's a perfect guy from that point of view in terms of knows how to sell, yeah. knows the game inside out. He's been coaching for 10, 15 years, but also knows how to build a club from scratch. Now there's expertise in the country. Andy Roxburgh is the ASC technical director. 
Yeah. That's a guy who's, who's worked at the highest level of European football for years and years. Been Scotland manager, worked in FIFA UEFA. That's probably not an endorsement right now, but, <laughs> but the point being that that's a guy with experience. He's now the AFC yeah. technical director. You know, let's let's use all the great people in Korea, the Korean people in Korea, as well as the expertise, and say what can we do to grow the game because it's not like we're trying to flog garbage. The quality yeah. potentially could be really high. You know, but we've got to get it right on and off the field because. 7,000 7, I think the average attendance in the Classic League this year went down for the first time in yeah. five years 7,900 last year 7,7 7 this year you know average in the Classic League is 1,500 second tier you know I'm not being rude to anybody I'm not trying to kind of cause waves or, or rock the boat but things ain't perfect mm. they're yeah. empty, empty stadiums you yeah. know fans are, and yet you go to Jamshire well, obviously we play our home games at Jamshire you've got two, two baseball teams playing in the Jamshire Olympic Stadium uh, baseball there 10,000 every yeah. single week, 15,000 every week. And again, and I'll be very free to say this, and I'll defend it to the hill, baseball is tedious. And I'll, oh, say, and I'll put it out there on record, and you can quote me on that. I what a tedious game. Yeah. And that's a man who loves cricket, by the way, saying yeah. that. But <laughs> it's tedious. Three and a half hours long, you know. But they're doing something right. Yeah. Because people go and watch it. And people, and, and the atmosphere is good. The atmosphere is incredible. People are getting tanked up there. I mean, I, I my, me and my son never been to a baseball game before. I, I don't drink, so I can put this, this story in context. But we went to watch a baseball game. My son said, can we, can we go and watch a baseball game? Said, of course, we'll go and watch the game. So we turned up at Jamstown. The game started, I think, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We got there. First 10 minutes, it's quiet. It's quite sedate, quite cricket-esque. Mm. And half an hour in, it's creeping up a little bit. And that are in, the place is bopping. I mean, it's yeah. rocky, lads are up and down, girls are up giving it all sorts of bopping. I'm thinking, what's happened here? You know, what, what's, what's the magic thing? Of course, I realised they've been drinking for a couple of hours, yeah. <laughs> just kicking in. <laughs> and I'm not saying that the, the, the solution to all of the Kaylee problems is alcohol by any means, that's the last thing I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, baseball's doing something right here, because people go and watch it, you know, and, and we've got to look at how we can grow the game here, because we owe it to this, the product here, we yeah. owe it to the raw material here to make the game. The World Cup in 2002 was magnificent. It was magnificent and it caught people's attention around the world. And Koreans flocked in their hundreds of thousands to watch games yeah. all over the country. They built amazing stadiums all over this country. People were, games were selling out. You know, unbelievable World Cup. The appetite is there in this country. And yet the highest pro profile league we've got has got low attendances in empty stadiums, despite the fact that quality is good. Yeah. And that's not a criticism again of anybody at all. It's just to say, Let's be big enough and ugly enough as a group of people involved in the game to say, how can we be better? We, our mantra at Seoul Leland is better never stops. You know, If we won the league, we'd have still sat down and pulled it to pieces in terms of how can we get better for next year in the same way we're doing now having finished fourth. We've got to look at the game in Korea and say, how can we do better? Yeah. You know, and, that, and that helps everybody. You know? I think... <laughs> I was going to... Off. I was going to ask you who was the best manager, but, but you've already yeah, answered Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've, if, I talk about my career brief if you want, but I've had a chance to work with people like Steve Bruce, Alan McLeish, Peter Reid, Stuart Pearce, uh, within, within England, you know, a range of quite high profile yeah. names. Also, they're great managers, but certainly high profile names. And I've missed out all sorts of Gary McCasper at Coventry. I'm going to list them all. But yeah, um, and you pick up, you learn great things from all yeah. of them, you know, you, and you see great stories from them, you know. It, I mean, Steve, I think there's a reason why Steve Bruce has had longevity in the game, and that's a guy who played at Man United, won everything there was to win at Man United, schooled under Ferguson, so that in itself is so mm. a decent apprenticeship. He'd be the first to admit he doesn't spend every minute down the training ground. You know, that's not a guy that's pulling X's and O's to pieces yeah. and trying to break down. But what he does do well is he creates a great environment to work in. He looks after his big name players really well. That's a guy that. That team finished 10th in the Premier League at Birmingham, and that's overachievement for a club of that size, mm. you know. But he had people in that team like 
Robbie Savage, Jermaine Pennant, David Dunn, Christoph Duggery, lads at the time that were quite decent yeah. decent names internationally, but also had a bit of baggage about them, had a little bit of swagger about them, and he was more than able to manage that that environment, you know. So you, you pick up that kind of stuff from him. This, I don't want this to get sick of fancy. I mean, Martin's still a young manager, he's obviously, I think, early 40s now, but I'd be hugely impressed by the, the opportunity to work with him this year. There's a lot about, he's got a lot about him, you know, in terms of understands the game as a student of the game, studies mm-hmm. it, diligent, you know, good eye for a player, which is in itself is huge, you know. I've, I've really enjoyed working with him, and I think there's a skill set that I've, I've learned from him, and hopefully I'm contributing things that, that perhaps help him as well. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a good manager, but again, some of the things, the stories and you see from back home, you know, we could sit here, and perhaps it's kind of after the watershed podcast, you know, we could sit and talk about... It's always after the watershed. <laughs> yeah, we could sit and talk about stuff we've seen back home in the UK, because yeah. the stories you get are great, you know. And I think that's the... I, I love being here, you know, this country's accepting my family, and we want to be here for a long time to come, you know, but you do miss a little bit of the crackle at back yeah. home, you know, the, the hairs on the back of your neck. So I'm going back for three weeks in the close season now just to study and to go and watch games and to, uh, just, yeah, to go and invest in myself, have a bit of a break as well. But I'm, I've made the point that I'm going to go and watch lots of games. My wife is raging because she wants to get away from football, but I'm going to go and watch some games. They're not Premier League games. I'm going to go and watch some lower league games, yeah. some non-league games, and eight see the quality, but also because you want to immerse yourself back in that again. You know, I'm going to go to, go to some training grounds, go to the Olympic Park, you know, and see that. I go to the yeah, King George's Park and see the training base there. You know, and there's a young Korean lad playing in the Nike Academy that's based there. So, be interesting to see how he's getting on and comparing him to that environment as well. You know, so um, yeah, that's the bit I do miss a little bit. The the match day kind of crackle, you know. Yeah, it's about the old firm games. Like anyone that you know is a proud Scott, you know, but. The Old Firm is one of the biggest three derbies in the world. You know, it's up there with the River Plate derby. It's up there with yeah. Liverpool, Man United. It's, it's, a, it's a, it, and and people can talk about the quality of Scottish football and the demise of Scottish football till the cows come home. Set that to one side. Old Firm week, and it is a week. It's a week in the build-up to it, and the week or so after, until the, or months after, until the next Old Firm game. You cannot explain what that's like until you've been involved in it. It is unreal. You know, so I mean, I can tell you all sorts of stories, some of which are inappropriate, but. One of the challenges they face in Glasgow is that these two massive clubs, right? The, the, the whole city splits blue and green, yeah? Just splits in half, family split in half, city splits in half for the, for the week beforehand. But companies are reticent to sponsor just one team because yeah. if you sponsor, if you put money into one team, straight away you're nailing half your client base, you know? Yeah. So traditionally over the years, it tends to be that the clubs have shared sponsors and shared car suppliers, everything's yeah. been shared. You either do none or you do both. It's changing a little bit now because obviously Rangers dropped out of the, the top league. But, one of the things was the, the bus company that supplied the buses supplied both both clubs and on principle it's, it's how petty it can be some of the, both buses had to be identical it couldn't be seen yeah. that one club was getting a slightly better bus or slightly better like, like leather trim or and it had to be identical but what that meant was that when the buses were driving around the punters had no idea which bus it was the only the only distinguishing factor was on the game day, game day you'd put a small sign at the front that would say Celtic or Rangers so, you yeah. so they knew you pulled in so we're, we're on a Celtics bus, we're driving to the old firm, playing, playing at Ibrox, Skeletor, uh, whatever it was. So that's what they call it. So we, we, we're there, totally, and I'm, I'm not a Celtic fan, by the way. I, I worked for them, it was a privilege to work there, and great, great to be involved in it. But my first off, old firm, we pull up at the bus, and about 30 yards in front of us, there's, there's a, a, a mum and a wee daughter, probably four or five years old, probably 30, 40 yards down the road. And they see the bus, and the bus crawls in, like five miles an hour, crawls in. And they see the bus coming into Ibrox. Of course, they're assuming it's the Rangers bus. So they're up and they're waving, the kids up on their shoulders. Because as we get closer, the, the mum clocks this little Celtic sign in the front. And you've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's like, it's in a, in a, in a split second, these waves. 
out of nowhere the girl just goes woof and the leaves come up and it's like oh, and the vitriol pouring out of this girl's face right and then like the, the little kids the same the kids there oh, little five year old girl and the mum's looking down at her to say that's my girl you know? I'm so proud of her but that, that's, not, that's, that's how passionate it is that's what the game is and then the, the, the Darfies are after the game because it's so well pleased because no one wants to see a throwback to the 70s and 80s where they were yeah. no one wants to see that you know and the game's come on leaps and bounds across the world now but that game has to be pleased properly, you know, because it, it does passions run high. So as you walk out of, of Ibrox to the bus, there's about a 15 metre walk where you're uncovered. So you've got to walk from the player's yeah. entrance to the bus. And of course, depending on what the result is, is that if you've lost a game of Celtic, the Rangers fans will stay there and they'll stand either side of the, the little walkway that's kind of stewards there to get the bus. So as you walk out, you're expecting to get slaughtered. Of course, it's, it's absolute silence. So you walk out, it's absolute silence. And you think, why is it? Because they, they know they're not allowed to peep up. Because they peep up or say anything at all, there's so many students and police around, they're just getting carted yeah. away. So they, you walk out through this silence, and as, once the last person gets on, the door shuts. And the last minute, as the coach returns the key, same thing, that key's like opening this tap of rich, vitriolic bile, where the fans out of nowhere are like, Way! because at that point, the police are like, we've done our job, they're, they're waiting on their way now, what happens now is irrelevant. Yeah. So you, as you drive off, you just get in the V's and all sorts at you. But the flip side is, it's exactly the same the other way around, you know, so. Um, but the game's great to be involved in, you know, yeah. I've been involved in Birmingham Villa games, and people that's not a big derby yeah. internationally, but that's a pretty nasty derby in terms of the, the rivalry there as well. And um, yeah, the funny thing there is when you walk out of Villa, you as a Birmingham fan, a Birmingham staff member, you come out the, the tunnels in the corner of the stand, and you have to walk up half the pitch to the dugout. So you have to walk past half the Villa, the Villa kind of fans to get to the dugout. Mm. Often the, the, the tunnel entrance is central, but at Villa it's in the corner, so you've got to walk up. But the stand that you walk past is the family stand, so you just shoot as you walk past. Yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> you, you, you're getting, it's going to be a bit, kind of, a little bit more passive and a little bit kind of more, I guess, watered down. But I tell you what, the, the, the number of times my parentage has been questioned on that walk, you know, just because and, and at that point I'm just a random, I'm just a member of the coaching yeah. staff with a Birmingham badge on, you know. But I've had all sorts. My mum has been questioned and all sorts on that walkway, you know. But but the, the thing about it, one of the reasons why I think going back to career is that one of the reasons why I think Solilands potentially could be good for the, for the K-League, is that derby games are really important. Yeah. Seoul is a city of 16 million people, give or take, depending how, well, 20 million, depending on how far you take the, yeah. the confines of it. It's a giant city with no derby, really, true derby, to be honest. And there's obviously teams around it as yeah. well, but potentially that first FC Seoul, Seoul Eland game is going to be good enough to an FC Seoul fan, whether you're looking for it or not. I mean, but that's, that, that's, going to be, that's going to be a good, a good, good attendance. That'll be a good game. It's good that FC Seoul have gone up this year because now you've got a Seoul on Derby as well. Derbies are the lifeblood of leagues. You know, around the world, derbies help create create leagues you know the Scottish football live it was a scans decision to, to relegate Rangers I understand why it was done I understand why they had to go through that procedure they've set Scottish football back 10 years by doing that because you now miss out on the rivalry now you might disagree with that my, my, my point being that why do, why do people sign for Celtic and Rangers they're massive people as you ask me now, how, how those teams get on in the Premier League and we can talk about it if you want to but People sign for those clubs because they're massive global brands. They've got the chance to play Champions League, albeit that's reduced now because of the Scottish coefficient having to go through qualifying rounds. But they go there for the old firm games. And there's no disrespect to the St. Johnsons mm. and the Invernesses and the Aberdeens. Aberdeen's a great history, a great historical club. The old firm games are massive games because they're rivalries and they're yeah. derbies and the city still stops talking. Imagine if we got to the stage in five years' time, for example, where the sole derby was the first date that people put in their calendars as a sporting fan and you did in Seoul. Even if you weren't a football fan and you said, we're going to a Seoul derby, we can't afford to miss that. 
that, imagine if you've got more, more than one derby. Soul, Sue, and you've got a couple. Suddenly, before you know it, there's an interest and there's a, there's a little yeah. bit of atmosphere being created, you know. So, I'd, I'm look, we're looking forward to that first game, you know. We were hoping for the FA Cup draw to be favourable this year, that didn't happen, you know. But Has there not been any talks about arranging a friendly between FC Soul and. Soul yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a, certainly a discussion today. I mean, we've got some developing links there as well. We, one of the, the guys who's just coming to work in our academy has previously worked in the youth team system at, at FC Soul as well, so there's a little link there. Um, now we know which league we're going to be in. There's certainly potential. I think it'd be great. Even just as an exhibition game, would be great. Having said that, you, derby games as exhibition games are always slightly yeah. kind of questionable yeah. because there's obviously a, no one wants to get hurt in those games, you know. But yeah, whenever it happens to real the first time, we're looking forward to that, you know. Because credit to them, they're a big club. They've done very well for themselves, you know. And they've got some good players, and historically have done well over the course of the last few years as well. And and I mean, we had Chardery very briefly at Celtic when I was there, and obviously that's a guy who's has got a bit of that. That's a superstar of Korean football, yeah. really. You know, that's a guy, Terminator, who's got a reputation, got a bit of kind of character about him, and it's a shame that he's been lost to the game from a playing point of view. You know, he's yeah. retired. But I'd love to see him involved in some way because that's a guy that's tasted the football elsewhere, is well thought of within the mm. gaming career as well. But someone like him, I don't know whether he wants to go into coaching or not. I've never spoken to the guy from that point of view. But even if he did, it's 20 years before he gets a chance to be a manager, probably in career at yeah. the moment. And actually. I'm not, you look at someone like Gary Neville, who's just taken on the Valencia job, and you know, he was playing for Man United four or five years ago still. Yeah. I think we've got to look at young talent in career from a coaching point of view as well and say, let's give them an opportunity. And whether not as managed necessarily, but certainly get them into the system as well, you know. But now we're looking forward to it. The potential in the career is huge, you know, and it's exciting to see how it might develop. I mean, I've, I've been to maybe three land games this year, three or four. Yeah, I've been three or four, I think. And what what always comes out what, when I go to, especially to Chamshill, I'm always quite surprised by the number of people who I regularly see at Sangam as well. So okay, I, and yeah. a lot of fans seem to double up uh-huh. if there's no soul game that clashes. Yeah, go yeah. along and and I mean I I do it because I'm a football fan. Yeah, great. But a lot of people they're wearing soul shirts at the at Sangam on the Saturday and they're wearing Elan shirts at yeah, Chamshill yeah, on the Sunday. So I wonder if it comes down to an actual derby match. What the atmosphere no. is going to be. I, I mean, I, I can't speak high enough of our fans. Whether they go and watch other teams as well, I don't know. But we, we we weren't a club nine months ago. We didn't have a badge eight months ago. We didn't have a team ten months ago. You know, we didn't have anything. We didn't have leopard print kits ten months ago. You know, <laughs> but, but our fans have been great for us this year. You know, for for us to get the second highest attendance in the class in the Challenge League this year, and there have been times in away games where the attendance on the board, I'm not sure necessarily tallies up with who's in the stadium. Because there's been yeah. times where I'm sure we've had as many fans at the away games and the other home fans, you know, in terms of the matchup, our fans have been magnificent this year and that's credit to the club but more importantly credit to them in terms of if you can get a core of fans who just live and breathe it, who come on the journey with you and feel mm. part of it and aren't just, spe- we don't want spectators, we want fans mm. who who live and breathe it and their blood runs leopard print, you know, that it's the old cliches but you, that's what it's about, that's what the game's about because the fans will be there long after the players have gone, long after the management staff have gone, long after the front office staff yeah. have gone. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that's handed down from generation to generation. And when you were a kid, probably the first game you went to was probably to watch the team that your dad supported, or your big brother supported, or your uncle supported. Because that's what football is. Yeah. You know, we've all got stories of being passed over the turnstile, or sitting on someone's shoulders, or crawling under the fence. You know, we've all got those stories, really, because we love the game. And actually, that's what we've grown up with. And so that's the, the, the passion we want to tap into. We, we don't want it to become just spectating. It's not an event you go and watch. You know, it's it's uh, an activity you're part of. You know, we, fans should go and be exhausted, really. Yeah. And we've we've got a responsibility to give them something to be exhausted about. You know, and and to engage with them, and make sure that they've got the facilities they need. And um, 
And listen, I want you guys at more Soli Land games next year, you know, and we'll be looking out for you. So, yeah, the guy, Steve Waddell, whether he listens to this or not, you know, I've been in touch with him the last couple of weeks on Twitter as well. So, that's a guy, rightly or wrongly, you knew he was at games. Yeah, <laughs> Every was, game he was at, you knew he was there, I you mean, know. So. I, mean, I mean, that was my next question, or, you know, that's one of my final questions. Oh, okay. Uh, like, uh, do you think Stevie, like, do you think Stevie leaving Korea cost you the title? Is that what he's claiming? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think he's probably put himself in the hat for MVP this year. You know, I think, I think he's put himself in the hat for that. But, uh, what's great for us, and it, 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 okay, it ties to a serious point, which is that you know, f- for us who are English-speaking guys in Korea, Korea is a great country, lots going for it, but it is a challenge on occasions. It is difficult living in any, yeah. any country that's not your home country. and it is, There's always a sense of potentially feeling a bit isolated and being disconnected whenever you're an expat anywhere in the world, you know, and particularly in a huge city like this. I can understand why, as an expat in this environment, sometimes it can be quite lonely for some people. Mm. Like I know myself, I've got my family here with me, but there's times where you're thinking, I miss things from back home, you know. One of the things we need to do as a club is to say, can we be the club that says, come and be a part of our family, come and connect, mm. so that Soul Eland's a place you belong, whether you're here for a year or two years or ten years, come and belong to part of the Soul Eland family, be actively involved in it, so that you've got that, that thing to really look forward to, because whatever job we do, I'm very fortunate to, to do a job that I love, you know, mm. I, I count my blessings on that, you know, it's, I'm, it's not everybody gets that opportunity, I love what I do, and it's a privilege to do it, but even we have bad days, if at the end of a long week or a, a tough week, you've got something to look forward to, like a game of football, where you are passionately involved mm. in it. And, and so I think that from a practical point of view, you know, the whole season ticket thing in, the, in England or in Scotland, for example, you buy your seat. You don't buy a ticket for the game. You go and buy your seat. Yeah. And you sit in your seat at a stadium, and the people next to you are in their seat. So over the course of a couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, you know the people yeah. who sit around you, and it becomes a community. And it's like, and before you know it, people hook up with each other, and, okay, yeah, I'll see you, I'll meet you at this pub, or meet you in that restaurant. It becomes a, a social event far beyond the game. It becomes your part of your weekend, and your midweek. Oh, can we get can we get a fly from work today to get to that midweek game? It becomes, and you almost want to do it because you don't want to miss the community yeah. part of it. You know, one of the challenges I think in Korea is that the season ticket mentality doesn't quite seem to exist. You don't buy a seat. You, oh, you buy, buy, ticket, you buy access yeah. to the stadium, yeah. and you people sit in different places. People sit disconnected in, in, in away from it. You know, I'd love the idea of, of having a bit more thought into how we can connect people and I think credit to Solina one of the things they've done there is lads generally and girls there's a real big kind of family feel at the club there's, there's young girls coming there's senior older guys coming there's a real mix of kind of diversity in terms of the, the, the fan base but they do tend to sit in close proximity to each other and that's, that's helped a little bit mm. in creating an atmosphere but those little things that, those aren't earth shatteringly difficult to put in place mm. you know but we've got to put a little bit of thought into how we can improve the fan experience, how we can improve the quality of the game on and off the field, because it, it would be a crying shame if we don't do justice to the quality of product that's here. Because we're not trying to, this isn't a pound shop league, this isn't lads who are 99p, this is high quality football potentially mm. available. We've got to take the fear out of it, so guys can express themselves, we spoke about earlier on. We've got to get that fan engagement as well. We want fans on the journey with us, you know, and, and that's why it was great seeing the event yesterday. And, and the fans have been actively involved all year. There's been some things that I had this year where Martin and I are thinking, oh, I'm amazed we're doing this. But at the same time, that's been brilliant. So this year, stuff hasn't been seen. Our lads have been out doing loads of stuff in schools this year, loads of stuff with um, in community centres, loads of stuff mm. in church centres with, dis- with disadvantaged kids. 
not not tokenistic as it sometimes can be in the UK, but actually saying, right, Seoul Eland FC is going to be based in the Songpa region, in and around Jamshil. Our academy is going to be based in there. You now we want to pull kids from that region. That's the region particularly we want to start off with. Can we connect with our community there? Schools, churches, community groups, whatever it might be. Can we connect into the community in a meaningful way so that Seoul Eland becomes a viable choice for people who want to spend their hard-earned money on an activity? Mm. You know, come and be actively involved in it. Don't come and spectate it, you know. But yeah, on, on Stevie, there's been, there's been times where he's been unbelievably supportive, and there's been times where you can hear him as well. He's top man. What the, what the hi, one of the highlights for me, after Leon, one of the highlights was he tried to get a shout from Alan Partridge going here in Korea. Now, any of our Korean listeners won't understand who Alan Partridge is. Alan Partridge, back home, as you know, yeah. is a, a bizarre, off the wall kind of tongue in cheek comedy series. If you can get Korean guys chanting lines from Alan Partridge episodes at Korean football games, you're doing it right for yourself because that's a that's a big cultural gap yeah. to bridge there, you know. So now wish him well. I think he's back in back in Scotland now watching some games. So he's also he also uh, he he got a wave from um, Lee Jong Hyuk oh, okay. during during one of your games. I think it was one finger wave. Okay, good luck. I believe he actually managed to, to, <laughs> to get him to turn and be like, it was a game, at, I guess it was at home, and Stevie was basically, I think he did maybe one too many, okay, yeah. or one too many pictures, I think, uh, and he was basically running the line, <laughs> screaming at each on job for like 90 minutes, and eventually he just snapped. Well, I have to, again, yeah. put this in, that, that's a lad who, the first three times I, I met the fella, he was Steamboat. I mean, the, he, was on, he was on the photos, and I mean, his eyes were doing unique things. I mean, he was looking, looking at both ends of the pitch at the same time, you know, that's a lad who, he was enjoying his expanding experience. But again, in all seriousness, that, that's a guy who has come across the career, he's working over here. He, he travelled length and breadth of this country watching, yeah. visiting every single stadium. Yeah. That's a guy who's passionate about his football. That's a guy who's, who's knowledgeable about his football, watches football all around the world. And, I don't know if it's knowledgeable, you'd be perfectly maybe, but that's a guy that loves his football, you know. And actually, it's great to model that a little bit in the yeah. sense, you, 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 yeah, let's be clear, you don't want too many Steve Waddles in your stadium. But the point being, that's a guy who loves his football, you know, yeah. and, and, and it means something to him and he's passionate about it. And that's what it means for us. We've grown up with yeah. that in the sense of, it's not just a sport. The reason why you, people can't wait to go and buy a championship manager game when it comes out is because they've got visions of wanting to be the best manager yeah. in the world. They, they, that's why they go and stay up until stupid o'clock in the morning to watch match of the day, even though they're on the other side of the world. Because we love this game. Yeah. It's a great game that should be exciting. And there's enough, you get kicked in the nuts in life enough as it is, you know. You need an outlet where you can go and say, oh, I just love this, you know. For yeah. 90 minutes, I can put the rest of my world to one side and just love whether it's watching the game or being actively involved in it or starting chance or whatever, you know. Look at pictures around the world with the, uh, teams in... We, we, we played a friendly game at uh, Celtic at St. Pauli out in Germany. Yeah. Now. They've got Karina playing for them now as well, but that's a, a, quite an iconic club in terms of their, their mm. engagement with fans. The atmosphere there, we, we arrived there in, in the city the night before the game, and the night beforehand, the mar- it was an exhibition in the season game, there were thousands of St. Pauli fans in the marketplace, yeah. just drinking, having a laugh, dancing stadium four hours before the game it's packed yeah and they're yeah. singing and they're chanting and they then the game starts and they turn their back on it and start doing the pause and all that all that stuff that's just that's part of it that's part of the experience you go home and it's shared experience <coughs> you know? yeah. so now i'm not saying we'll ever get to that in the korean culture because it's a very different culture but what there is there is there's a connection between fans and the team yeah you know? and that's what we need to run build here you know? i mean I, I think that's the reason why uh, i can find myself going towards Songnam as a club, you know, like, there's like a, a kind of hardcore of, you know, about maybe 20 kids, I mean, uh, and they, they are kids, uh, and they have adopted like Celtic songs, yeah, yeah. and they kind of, a lot of the Green Bay grades ideas, uh, um, so I kind of find myself 
and it, it's, it's funny because when I first started going to games, you know, like, I didn't really feel, I felt like the foreigner, uh-huh. you know, like, at the stadium, you know, having a few beers, kind of yeah. like, but those kids, over the years, I've been kind of going and a lot of them have recognised me and uh-huh. I went to Osaka this year. Yeah, great. So, in the last game at um, Seoul, when it was Seoul versus Songnam, uh, they were kind of like, Bring me over. Oh, have you come, Mark? You know, yeah, yeah. and I think that you obviously, do get. They obviously don't realise you're going to Seoul most games. <laughs> <laughs> and they obviously like you know, and I think Paul said the same thing. You know, like the, the Diablos and, uh, and FC Seoul. And I think it does take a bit of time. Yeah, you know, like, but I think you can eventually connect. But that connection is important. That sense yeah, of that really and Actually, you, you look at some of them this year. And I was just speaking as somebody who's kind of watching Korean football. That's a team that's done great this year, in my yeah. opinion. You know, that's a team that's city funded, hasn't got big corporation yeah. money behind it. I think again, it's not a not criticism of, of the K League award system, but I think their gaffers got to be in the yeah. running for manager of the year. You I know, mean, for what they've done this year and the way they've played as well, I've been impressed by them this year. You know, yeah, I mean, Ken Hatbom was manager of the year. I think even Paul would agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huangy Joe, young player of the year, undoubtedly. Yeah. And again, on that, come back to be talking about like difference makers. Whether, whether people are a fan, looking at all whether, whether people are a fan of Shinwu, Shinuka, also, and it's great. For the first time since two thousand and ten, yeah. the top the top scorer in the classic league is a Korean. Yeah. Now, the, the the traditional accepted kind of philosophy in career has been, oh, you need foreign players to come and score your goals for you. Yeah, you know, in the basketball, you need foreign players to come and score your points for you. Well, actually, there's no reason why Korea couldn't develop high quality yeah. strikers and high quality wide players. Now, again, he's a different model in terms of physique and things but I'm delighted that it's a Korean player that's done that you know in terms of that should send a message out to other Koreans yeah. that it's okay to be set, to be the main man yeah. they, don't have to, they don't have to be six foot six to do it you know like it is but it's okay to stand out it's okay yeah. to go and be someone that says you know what I'm going to shoot from 30 yards just see what happens I'm going to try a back heel I'm going to try a little step over and see what happens but now that's a challenge to coaches because we know that the fear there is, is ingrained and it's yeah. ingrained for a long time and that is a challenge you know but I'd love for me, I'd love to see these young lads at the Seoul Eland reach their potential because the ceiling they've got is so high, so high, you know. And and we want the fans to come that journey with us as well, you know. So yeah, by all means, support Songnam, but if you're not at 20 games next year, I'll be on your case, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, FC Seoul, you can keep yourself. <laughs> like that first time will be a good game. That first, I'll be looking forward to that. That first game, so that'll be great. Okay, well, I think that kind of wraps everything up. So thank you very much, Dan, for, for, for giving us your time no, and for coming in. Uh, and I'll maybe take you up on that offer of some free tickets for next season. You're yeah? more than welcome, more than welcome. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, hit me up. The more the merrier. And the free merchandise. And, and the free merchandise, that's, yeah. That's more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He lands a business. <laughs> that's more difficult. Regrets I've had a few But then again too few to mention I did what I had to do saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more Much more than this, I did it my